episode 3000. Yeah, 3000 for sure. No, not quite. <laughs> almost, almost, almost. I, um, you know, some, some folks actually listen to our podcast through, you know, they watch it on YouTube. And the last time we had one, which was last week, I, I had all these marks on my face because I had gone to the dermatologist and the, um, you know, I got, it was, it was really benign. It was like this, I had these very moly things, but they were, they were nothing, you know, and I sat down she's like, oh, we can just, you know, kind of burn those off. And it turned out to be like a cryogenic freeze thing. And before I knew it, it was done, but I walked out of the office looking like I had chicken pox. I mean, it was really, really bad. And the podcast recording was like two days later and I chose to not talk about it because it just felt very self-indulgent to talk about it. So, but you can see it if you go to the YouTube podcast and um, Bob, uh, had a call with me like a few days later and we start the call and he goes, Hey, can I ask you something personal? And I go, yeah, sure. Did you get into a fight? <laughs> so bad. So I'm, I'm very happy to today have been healed and no longer have any real representation of my skin treatment. Yes, you look you look good. You know, I was hoping there was like a backstory that you wrestled a bear that like walked in your backyard or something like that. You know, but no. Um, okay, we'll go, we'll go with that story. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I should have. Okay. You know what? You're right. I should have created a story. It would have been way better. But yeah, the backstory. I didn't think, of my, I didn't think of a feat. I could have easily done a fight story. I'll have to. We'll have to revisit this moment. Um, well, I'm glad you're wearing red because, you know, we are coming up on the July 4th and I've got white and a little bit of blue on. So we've got it covered. Yeah. And Sean, our guest, of course, is, is dressing pretty much just all black. So it's <laughs> <laughs> my normal attire. I don't know. Yeah. Great segue. So, Bob, do you want to introduce our guest? Sure. Um, Sean is um, part of our um, the Microsoft um He's actually, we'll talk a little bit more about his title because it's very long and a bit confusing, but he works in our education space and uh, for, for Microsoft and would love, Sean, to hear more about kind of your background, what you do for Microsoft and uh, kind of your your career journey would be great. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, yeah, I'm on the, my official title is a Modern Workplace Ecosystem Sales for U.S. Education. Uh, quite a bit of a, a, a mouthful, but, uh, you know, for most of us that have been around Microsoft, Modern Workplace is really, you know, like our, our productivity suite. So things like Office 365, Microsoft 365. Um, but also, I mean, really responsible for a lot of the device sales in education, too. So that's, you know, talking about our great devices from our partners like Lenovo and HP, Acer, Asus and Dell, and uh, really the gamut of, of devices that uh, span across those manufacturers that are that are awesome for education. Um, so I work with I work with partners uh, like Insight. Um, I've got a couple of our dis distribution partners that I work with. Uh, as well. And, and so, yeah, we're working with working with partners to really get that messaging out of, you know, the really the total solution that Microsoft brings for uh, education. Um, a little bit of my background. Yeah, this uh, is the good. This yeah. is the fun part. Yeah, yeah we so, this is the best part of our podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, my my background is is is, in, is different, interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I come across people all the time that have changed and switched careers and stuff like that. Um, I'm actually a, actually a pilot, so I uh, about 
about my junior year in in high school, I got uh, I got exposed to aviation. Uh, my dad worked in the aviation industry as an engineer for for years, so I was you know always around jets and helicopters and stuff like that. And uh, so got into and you know tried out flying in a you know small airplane. Totally fell in love with it. Went to a camp uh, for this for a week in in the summer. My flight instructor was like, hey, man, I don't care where you fly, but you got to do this because you're a natural. Um, so I ended up uh, enrolling in and uh, getting accepted up to uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University up in Prescott, Arizona. Uh, we were moving out here as a family anyway from Connecticut, so it worked out uh, perfectly. So went through, you know, the got an aeronautical science degree. Uh, I got a minor in safety. And uh, so I had basically all my credentials. Uh, got my flight instructor rating here in Phoenix when I after I graduated, and then um, September 11th happened. So obviously that we all kind of know how that devastated the country and and really the industry as well. So I actually took a pause from that, got into uh, IT sales for about three years. So I sold into the uh, the K through 12 space and also in higher education. So I kind of got my first exposure to sales and into IT sales. Um, after that nice little stint, I, I did. I returned to uh, I returned to the aviation space. So I was a flight instructor for about a year, which was which is very uh, fun, but also scary at the same time. Because even begin <laughs> to imagine, you know, I I think of myself in trying to fly, and I I would be the most dangerous person behind a stick, and I can't imagine being the person trying to stay calm. While yeah, it's I'm nose well. Diving. For it, yeah, it's a, it definitely takes quite a bit of patience, um, but you also notice that you're talking very, very fast all of the time. I mean, we used to, you know, we'd probably have about four hours of flight time before lunch and four hours after. So, I mean, you know, eight straight hours of basically talking because, yeah, you don't, you know, you've got somebody in the left seat uh, for the most time that have no experience and you're trying to teach them. And, I, you know, the most scariest part, I think, or the most stressful is when you actually have to make that decision to get out of the airplane and let them do their first their first solo flight and that's uh usually usually i was okay most of my students were were on point there's only like one or two that i was kind of kind of questionable about. but it was really exciting i mean i got <laughs> to anyway <laughs> yeah I, I mean i got to fly with uh you know kids as young as 15 because they could start flying and they you know they could get uh you know at least solo before they got their license when they turned 16 so i mean i had really really young kids uh, we worked with a charter school that actually had a, 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 a granted uh, program to get uh, kids into aviation, which was really awesome. Uh, and then I flew with, you know, people of all different ages, races, backgrounds, everything up to, you know, 70 year olds that were, you know, just marking this off their bucket list and stuff like that. So it was it was really fun, really rewarding. Um but very stressful at at times. Um, then I started flying charters. So we actually had a charter operation out of out of Chandler, and we used to fly uh, all around, kind of Arizona into Colorado, California. That's when I started flying more twin engine airplanes. Got up to, to King Air was the biggest airplane that I got to fly. So it was it was really fun. Unfortunately, uh, out of no control of my own, I got a virus in my in my ear which uh, basically messed with my my balance because uh, you know ears are very important for for our balance and when you're in an airplane and it's constantly moving it just didn't didn't make me feel very good so at the kind of the uh, direction of uh, my doctors and you know my my, my fiance was going to be my wife very uh, soon after that i said hey I, I don't think i can fly anymore so um it was 
it was really was a bummer. Uh, but you know, again, it was a safety thing and I was sole sole pilot in these charter planes and I was like, I can't, you know, I don't want to, you know, cause any issues and safety when it comes to myself and my passenger. So had to exit from it. So it's been about 15 years since I flew, but that's, uh, that's okay. I still have a passion for it. My wife is actually a graphic designer now working for, uh, a, a pilot store online pilot store. So she's actually in the industry now, which is, which is kind of cool. So I get to kind of still live and live in that industry, um, a little bit. So it was fun. So the clear natural segue here for us is Microsoft flight simulator. <laughs> yes, it is very, very cool. I'm not gonna. Okay, lie. I was gonna ask, right? How how real is it? You know, in the sense that, to, I mean, it's really evolved over the years. Yeah. I remember back in the yeah. day, it was even if it was kludgy, it was still kind of cool. I oh, crash airplanes all the time. I mean, I've been a Microsoft <laughs> Flight Sim pilot for gosh since I was, you know, probably since the first one kind of came out. I mean, I you know I had that joystick on my old PC and was flying around. Um, now, I mean, it's it, it's it's pretty realistic i think all the physics and stuff are there so i mean a lot of this stuff is uh is really good but we actually used to use it a lot in our instrument training so that's all just you know flying by instruments and it was i mean when i was in college we all had it and we would sit there and do our instrument training on it practicing you know our approaches and you know scanning the instruments and reading the instruments and pro you know programming everything and we had a bunch of classes where we had to you know navigate basically using flight simulator so it's a it's a really cool tool it's a really powerful tool and it's, it's it's fun and it's fun. My my son's been uh, been egging me to go get a full simulator set up with uh, with flight sim because he wants to he wants to get into it. So yeah, it's really cool. And that's got to be kind of neat for you to have your kid, you know, want to kind of take that journey too. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Dad, when are we flying? I'm like, eh, I think I'll wait till you can get your pilot's license and I'll fly with you. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Right. So me, so me. So do you? I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. I just I just wondered with with your the the virus that you got in your ear one does it affect any other portion of your life right it, did you notice anything else and then do you ever go back up you know every once in a while just uh, just to fly a little bit yeah so um so early on it it did affect a lot you know like if I was it's, there's a lot of things that work your how your I learned a lot with this but there's a lot of things that your brain uses to to help with balance right so it's not only your right. your, your your ears right ears are probably primary but they also uses your eyes and it uses your skeletal you know your muscles basically so i would notice like if there were days that i was really tired at night or I was sore from like working out or something like that. I definitely felt it. Um, but I went back to the to the uh, to the doctors of you know about five or ten years later. I can't remember, and they ran the same test. And my brain actually is starting, you know, it has compensated for it. So it's actually not as not as bad, and 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 I don't get so woozy. And I'm I'm fine on commercial airlines right now. Yeah, that was, I was going to ask that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, okay. cool. yeah. For the most part, they're they're pretty smooth, and I don't usually get affected by it. Um, but I haven't been up in a small airplane uh, in a really long time okay. but again as my son is kind of getting interested in it it's probably gonna that'll probably change so yeah aviation's in your blood somewhere then for sure huh yeah <laughs> i guess <laughs> that's nice that's cool that's a cool story so let's i mean let's talk about the education space a bit um that's you know uh, a very very sweeping topic um, and, and we definitely don't have to limit it to just devices, right? You know, I mean, I think, you know, anything that has to do with 
technology and, and education and you know clearly we've come off of a year where that I hate I hate even saying industry but you know the, the education space had to pivot dramatically um, yeah. you know you we, we you and I have had a chance to compare notes a bit before and um, my wife is a teacher third grade teacher and she went through this last year and had to do all of the virtual classrooms and then the hybrid and, and just watching her um, I mean, that was fascinating watching her evolve through the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if you were to sort of look at the education space today and as it's going into this next year, what do you think are the, you know, the topics relative to technology that m most folks are kind of wrapping their heads around right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the education space has always had, um, you know, grand ideas, but they were typically out, you know, three to five years, um, you know, from um, as far as their kind of like digital transformation and their real, their, you know, their kind of goal to really embrace technology in the classroom. Um, I mean, you've seen that, you know, probably over the last five to six years, you know, that's progressively kind of kept happening more and more, you know, devices in the hands of the students. Um, but I, I don't think it, it was ever really used to its fullest extent, right? So, I mean, a lot of it, again, it's great having a, having a device and it's it's great having your schoolwork. And, you, you know, a lot of these students have to be exposed, exposed to this technology because when they get out of school, go into high school and into their careers, like it's all, you know, they're going to have a, a device and a laptop and, you know, more than likely Windows and Office in some, in some capacity. So, you know, as again, three to five year goal that basically got accelerated overnight, right? When we when everything kind of shut down and, and schools went completely completely remote, and I don't think that you know schools were really prepared for it, and we definitely saw it kind of in this you know the school district that we're in, is that they were kind of scrambling and and saying, okay, what what do we have, right? What technology do we have in place? You know, we've got something for video, we've got something for chat, we've, we're kind of using something else for, you know, sort of pushing down assignments and assessments and, you know, surveys and stuff like that. And so they, you know, used whatever they had. And then there was a big scramble for devices, right? Because everybody was remote, but they still wanted to, you know, do some kind of learning, had to get technical. They didn't want to go and print off a bunch of stuff and send it to students. And they knew they wanted to be live. So again, they had to pivot and transition very, very quickly. So I don't fault any of the, you know, any of the schools with with the way that they kind of started out this, uh, this pandemic. Um, again, it was really how do you get one how do you get a whole bunch of teachers trained on all this technology very very quickly how do you help students that have never used this technology before use it remotely um and then there's kind of that third piece is like hey a lot of a lot of parents and guardians took on that role of i'm tech support in the house right like i got to help my students um you know get online be online you know, help them with the, the camera and the microphone and which app are we in and which, you know, which is there. So it was a very, you know, very, very confusing time, but it was, you know, a necessity because we had to continue to learning and we had to keep, you know, students and teachers um, engaged in, in, in being successful with the rest of the year. Then, you know, kind of we went through the summer and, you know, what we noticed is a lot of schools basically reevaluated, you know, what, okay, what worked, what kind of worked in those last four months of the year? what do we change you know what can we change and what what uh you know what do we go do going forward and so personally from our you know my my son is uh was in second grade at the start so he basically did his whole third grade career 
which was partly uh, where we live uh, in Arizona. We've had partly in person. Uh, I'm sorry, partly remote in the beginning of the year. Then it went in person and then they took a break during the, the fall holidays, right? After all the, you know, a lot of people kind of getting together to mitigate any risk at the school. So it was a very like in and out of the kind of the classroom. Um, but we were, we had five different applications we were using for, for my son's schoolwork. You know, right. we had one for video, one for chat, one for assessments, one for assignments. And then I think there was another one like for surveys and it was just, you know, too cumbersome. And I think as we kind of move into this next year, um, you know, again, I think schools are going to be like, how do I streamline? How do I focus? Because this hybrid learning is really not going to change or, or go away, right? There's going to be opportunities for class, you know, in-person classroom learnings. There's opportunity where, you know, students may not go back into the classroom because of some physical disability or maybe they are sick or oh my gosh it's a snow day right gone are the probably the days of snow days so you're still going to have this capability of, of this hybrid you know this hybrid learning and plus the schools right not only with federal funding but their own budgets they put a huge investment into this technology so they really want to be able to use it and they need to use it you know how, how do they use it successfully and that's kind of part of the equation what do they have and how do they use it you know successfully so you know, kind of what our future looks like in in that uh, in the education space from everything that we're kind of seeing and in in personal experiences too. Um, you know, hybrid this hybrid digital transformation is going to continue to to flourish. Um, there's going to be more and more opportunities for um, you know technology solutions in the classroom, whether it's it is the device or the the software solution that wraps around it. Um, and the other piece is security. Right, security is is paramount right now for education. They are one of the most targeted industries, you know, out there. And you know, we have to be helping our students, um, you know, protect our identity and our faculty and staff's identity. And uh, you know, schools are really going to have to focus on security, and that's going to be a big piece probably within this next year. Yeah, that make that makes perfect sense. So I've always, you know, I've always looked at the education space, particularly K through twelve. And, I, and, you know, I have, because of my career and how I grew up in the business, I have this Microsoft prism. You know, I always think about, hey, how, where, where's Microsoft in this world, you know? And K through 12 has always been, at least this is my take on it, may not be accurate, it, a struggle for Microsoft in the sense that if I think about the education space and I think about devices, I think about Apple. If I think about, you know, collaborative, you know, email, you know, the Google email, you know, as G Gmail was predominant at some point. And even when the pand pandemic hit, the video conference became Zoom, you know, or I think it was Zoom. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the formal adoption rates, but that it was like that. And, you know, all along, I'm thinking, why isn't that Microsoft doesn't have the market share in K through 12 that it has almost everywhere else? And if you think about all the things that you just, you know, ticked off, having a Microsoft approach to the K through 12 environment really does check those boxes. So how does Microsoft, and, and first, am I wrong? You know, so you could easily start by saying, no, Elliot, you're, <laughs> you're wrong. And, you know, if I'm right, to some degree, what does Microsoft do to attack that in sure. order to address it? Sure. Um, yeah, so good, good question. I mean, I think from, a, a, you know, starting with the video platforms and stuff like that, um, you know, there was, there's always a need for something. And the, you know, um, lowest path, or, you know, resistance to get to that is if things are free or very, very low cost, right? So again, 
a lot of times, you know, certainly in the education space, again, with strapped budgets, I mean, we, they got to get the most bang for their buck, right? And, and if, if they have to do what makes fiscal sense, but also, you know, um, you know, is a checkbox that says, okay, I'm, I'm satisfying this need. It, it, it's going to, it's going to be good enough for what we need to do. Oh, by the way, it's either free or very, very low cost and it's affordable. And again, within this pandemic, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of the funding in the very beginning. So again, they had to, they had to gravitate towards what they could get one set up very quickly. And um, that was probably very inexpensive. Um, but teams teams did tremendously well within this last year. I mean, a lot of schools, <laughs> you know, that either had Office 365 or had migrated to Microsoft 365 had, you know, had the capability of teams. We offer Office 365 online for free to any schools, right? So we had a ton of schools that, um, you know, took us up on that offer, right? So they had full office suite. It was just accessible online, um, which which gave them the capability of teams. So again, we did we did really well. Teams has grown dramatically, not only you know in the corporate space, but obviously in the education space um, as well. Um, you know, when you kind of think about devices, uh, devices is you know one of those things I think that you're kind of alluding to when we think about the education space. Um, the for the longest time, you know, we we didn't have low cost devices in market for education. Um, there's, you know, when you think about devices um, in that space, I mean, they have to be super rugged, right? I mean, these things are gonna get beat up more than our corporate devices do, right? Yes. I always I, I always joke, I always joke with the OEMs, I'm like, you know how you test the durability of that device, give it to a third grader for a year and then yeah. you'll know how, how it is, right? Yeah. So again, you know, when they when they were building these devices and stuff like that, you know, we worked very very closely with them. Um, certainly over the last three years, to say, hey, look, we we need to get these devices that are you know are running Windows, full Windows 10, right? So not a you know a cloud operating system. It needs to work online and offline. Um, so you know, we worked really closely with them to bring devices you know within a reasonable uh, price point. So I mean, we've got devices, clamshell, full Windows 10, four gig, 64 configurations starting under $250 from our mm -hmm. OEM partners. So, I mean, the devices are there. It just, it, it actually ends up just being awareness thing. You know, if you think about a school, just like you kind of mentioned, how many different operating systems are they running on? They've probably got some Apple. They probably have some Chrome. They most certainly have Windows because that's what teachers in, in the schools basically run on. Um, they may have some Android in there. Um, you know, maybe they're managing some cell phones and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a ton of stuff. But if you think about it from a PC perspective, <clears throat> there is a Windows device at every single price point, every single con configuration, and for every single persona at a school. So legitimately, these schools could run on one operating system, only have one operating system to manage. And so that just, again, that just kind of comes into an awareness thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, our, our competition is, is kind of like the Kleenex of tissues, right? When you got a runny nose and you ask, you know, you need a tissue and asking for a Kleenex, but that's just a brand, right? That's mm -hmm. not necessarily what you're asking for. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of schools just got into this uh, mindset of, you know, when they're looking for low cost, it's our competition, not knowing, right, that there's a Windows equivalent version. And by the way, you know, that may be the same operating system the teacher's using. Right. Yeah. So it's it's kind of it's again, it just ends up being an awareness thing. Um, and, you know, we're doing a tremendous, a tremendous amount of job on not only Microsoft side, but from our partner side uh, to evangelize that as a solution. 
And we're also kind of building things. You know, we saw a lot of gaps in, you know, one, how uh, Windows is deployed. Right. So we create, you know, we created autopilot as a as a service to help get those devices uh, enrolled in the customer's uh, tenant and having IT basically being able to provision and manage those devices while they're on a truck to that student's location, whether or not they're actually on prem or if they're at their home. Same with teachers and faculty and staff. So we've made it easier, you know, one to you know, have a full portfolio of devices uh, from a financial standpoint. So again, go as low as possible that you want, and you can have any device uh, in any configuration and persona that you need to helping deploy those devices, you know, zero touch, right? And being able to just just get those devices out to the students as quick as possible. And that, and that, you know what, I'm really glad you brought up Autopilot. I, Cause first of all, I think it's, it's some really cool technology and I think it's a massive advantage in terms of, you know, the, the Windows device and what it brings. And for those that may be listening that don't know what it means, you know, autopilot and you're describing it, but largely speaking, it's if I'm a student or teacher or person and I receive the laptop in the mail, because that's what, the way it would get to me, it would be shipped over to my house and, you know, package and I'd open it up. And when I hit the power button, the laptop is configured to get out into the cloud, you know, and I hate to speak at this, you know, like nebulous high altitude thing, but more or less what it does is it goes out to the cloud, gets its configuration instructions, downloads it onto the device, and the, the device images itself based on the instructions from the cloud. The, that's it. And all of a sudden that device is configured exactly the way it's supposed to by the school with the applications that the school wants on there, with the security profile that's set for yeah. it. It, and it's all done automatically and there's nothing that the student or the teacher or the parent has to worry about. Yep. And that's a tremendous advantage, I think, in all of this. Yeah, yeah, and it's huge. And, and again, you know, we kind of go back to awareness. It's a lot of, you know, a lot of schools in, in IT, again, um, just have done things the old way, right? So you kind of think about, <clears throat> I've been, again, I've been in IT, the IT sales space for, for over a decade now. So I've seen that, you know, how it's kind of, um, how it's kind of progressed, and this is really amazing. But a lot of again, it a lot of schools and a lot of IT professionals at schools just don't just don't know how to do this modern deployment in zero touch. They're used to doing you know imaging the devices you know during the summer when nobody's in school. They can get the devices. They can build their cut you know custom images depending on the who the student's going to. And oh by the way, that device has to go to that exact student because that's the image that's on this device when you provision. It doesn't matter what device the student's on, right? It doesn't matter the model or the configuration or the brand or whatever, because IT is setting up that that provisioning packet to just adjust the things that that student or faculty or teacher needs on it. They're not even messing with the operating system. Yeah, HP and Lenovo do a lot of hard work making sure that the operating system works perfectly for that device. So IT doesn't have to go and wipe it and build it and spend all those those you know cycles building the image and then having to load it on there they could all do it you know remotely while it's in route and again it doesn't matter the the device configuration as far as the hardware platform because all you're doing is configuring that profile right provisioning that device for that student so it's 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 streamlining things it's making it easier making it faster and oh my gosh saving it a ton of time and you and you kind of think about it you know they're they're managing tens of thousands of more devices than they probably are staffed to do so they Overnight. need that yeah they need that streamline streamline help that's going to be one low low cost which again autopilot isn't uh, very expensive when you think about the time 
they used to spend imaging and deploying the devices the old way. So they're saving time, they're saving their effort, and they can, you know, again, they now can manage more devices easier. Mm-hmm. I, I got to imagine these school districts don't have hundreds of people in IT either, like a large corporation would, right? It's not a area of expertise for them in the past. So, um, you know, getting thousands of devices now in the wild is probably overwhelming for them and having that technology must be just really key yep yep absolutely um yeah um so this is gonna bring back um date me a bit but um i'm wondering if microsoft still has the school of the future and still invests in the school of the future in philadelphia um uh that i do not know i know we have a lot of showcase schools around the country but that one specifically i don't i don't know yeah so back in the day probably before you were born um (laughs) there microsoft and when i was at microsoft they had a school of the future that they invested in in Mm -hmm. philadelphia from the bottom up and they basically seeded it with microsoft technologies so you could take people there and show them how a school would work you know, kind of in the future, if you will, or with Microsoft technology. And uh, to make a long story short, I had a um, large publisher client that did textbooks and we had set up uh, a day to go out there. I fly into Philadelphia, hit the airport and they canceled on me right when I, I landed. Oh, no. So I got to spend a few hours waiting for the next flight home in uh, <laughs> the Philadelphia airport. But that was the one chance I had to check. Um, and, you know, it was in um, probably a, um, a tougher neighborhood and they really were doing some great things there. And it's great to see, you know, the other thing I got thinking about when you were talking, um, I, I'm going to make a prediction for school systems moving forward. Right. One of the things and I'm, I'm a sports guy and I always like to, to br- tie the two worlds together. Right. You see. Um, universities and even high schools and school districts now be like a Nike school or an Mm. Adidas school or something along those lines. I bet you we get to a point in the near future where a school district is a Microsoft district, right? Or a Google district or something along those lines where they just go all in on that technology because what you're saying is so true. No, little to no IT staff, right? They need technology that works together in a seamless fashion, and that's easy for kids to understand. Microsoft wants to be invested in it because I know that Microsoft has the thought, if you get people on the platform at a young age, you then have them as they go through, become go to college, become professional, you know, their, their use of the platform. I worked at Microsoft for 16 years. My daughter hands me an, an Apple device, Apple laptop, and I go, why, why, why can't I touch? What, the, what is this thing? How do I open things? It is a complete nightmare for me. And, um, you know, I've, I've drank the Kool-Aid, obviously. But that's where I think we're going, potentially. So I just, uh, that was an idea in the back of my head. Yeah, we I mean, we do have a ton of showcase schools around the country, you know, where we've, you know, worked very closely with them to, to, to build up their kind of their solution. Um, and we've got some great county account teams that work with, you know, a lot of schools around the country to, again, kind of do that, what you're kind of talking about. It's like, hey, <clears throat> you know, 
Microsoft really has the most robust solution, right? Whether right. talk about the endpoints to these, you know, software solution, whether it being Microsoft 365 or if we're just talking about things like Teams. Again, it is probably the most robust uh, portfolio. Again, not only the devices going across, you know, any person, right, at that school, um, but the software, you know, package. Again, schools are, you know, schools are run on Office. Um, Office is again very you know, very, very heavily used, obviously, in the in the corporate space and into education. So, I mean, it behooves a lot of schools um, to be teaching on Office and Windows because more than likely that's what the students are going to be exposed to when they get out of their 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 K through 12 or even their higher education yeah. careers. Yeah, and that that's always been the story, you know, in the sense that, you know, when when they get out of the academic world, they're going to encounter this reality, which is, you know, Microsoft. Yeah, Love it's all speak. about it's all yeah. yeah, it's all about being the most productive, right? Yeah. And and we do have the most um most robust portfolio from that that scenario. So, I have an idea. This is a bit of a brainstorm, which will probably sound not smart, but let me let me, you know, throw it at you, right? And if it turns out to be a really good idea, you know, just a half a point royalty or a point royalty and I'll be okay. All right. So, this is my my pitch. So with autopilot, there's packages that get delivered, you know, configured profiles that get delivered. And one of the things that you said is if I'm in a school, there's four or five applications that may typically be used. And I kind of am guessing that there's the 80-20 rule that, you know, there's four or five applications that are used in the vast number of school systems K through 12. What if Microsoft created a standard packet that was, you know, an autopilot packet that was coupled with a device. And so in essence, you know, you're saying to a school system, not only do you get this low cost device, you get it on the Microsoft operating system, it's configured in a secure environment, and it includes these five or six applications in the packet and will deliver it to the customers for you. Yeah, that's definitely something Insight can help with. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, you know, maybe there's somebody inside right now that's going, Elliot, don't talk to him about it. Let's do something. But, you know, I don't know. I was just, is that, is that a yeah. good idea or is that just one of those things that it would be oh, no. impossible to pull off or there's, it's really not, that's not the reality. No, 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 it's, no, it's absolutely, absolutely doable. I mean, you, you think about autopilot. I mean, autopilot really is a, is a, is a partner channel program. Right. I mean, this is something for for partners to utilize to help their end user customers get these devices, uh, you know, again, into their tenants. Then they use Intune or Intune for education to manage, you know, manage those profiles and, and stuff like that. And there's uh, I mean, it's a great, um, great option. And I think that's something that uh, Insight can easily do for their customers to say, hey, we'll help you build those profiles. We'll help you provision those devices. Um, and again, we we make it easy and, and um, for partners to assist those end user customers to do those, do those things. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 actually, um, it, it's not hard to do that. And that's what we see a lot too, is that, remember, we're kind of going back to that imaging, imaging thing, right? It's very hard to change, you know, that image specifically for one or two students or a classroom of students. Right. But thinking about the cloud and how powerful cloud management is like Intune, I mean, IT could go and say, hey, you know, these 30 kids are in Mrs. Smith's science class. Ms. Smith hit me up and said, hey, I found this really cool science app that's on the Microsoft store, you know, whether it's free or, you know, slightly inexpensive, whatever that IT, all that IT uh, guy needs to do is go on to Intune. 
because we use what's called school data sync to pull in the student information from the school and put it into their Microsoft tenant, that IT can go and see those students in Mrs. Smith's class and say, okay, I want them, only them, to have that application. So you don't have to have those bright, shiny objects, right, for other students in that, in, in that image that was created and them clicking on it in their classroom. Oh no, I can just say, hey, for this specific set of students, for this classroom, uh, under you know under Miss Smith, they can have this. They can have this application, and then very easy again for them to go back and turn it off if they don't want it. I think we're inventing a managed service right here on the spot. That is, that's a real good one. Yeah, there you go. Of course, we probably hey. didn't invent it. I'm sure this is happening all the time, but I like it. It's good. Sean, I see that in the corporate space now, a lot of co companies are investing into technology not only Wi-Fi, but um, devices for kids that don't have access to that at home. Uh, I'll give you an example. The, the Rocket Mortgage Golf Tournament in Detroit this week um, is sponsoring technology for kids in these type of environments. So they're taking a lot of money that they're going to get from the tournament and turn those back into um, technology needs for kids that don't have it. Um, can you do you, are you familiar with some of the stuff that's going on in that space um, from a charity standpoint? And are you seeing um, since you're close to that market, are you seeing that um, that technology and those investments starting to make a difference? Yeah, I mean, you, you think about it, I think the last the last report I saw something like 10 million households don't have Internet access right. like we take internet access for granted uh just like we do water right in, yeah. in, in in sewer i mean those are things that like we should easily have access to <clears throat> but there, there's 10 million households so you kind of think about that that gap right in in learning just in learning over this pandemic yeah. right you had students that could get a laptop they could access their their schoolwork at home but what about those other you know other students and stuff so yes we've seen a, a tremendous amount of uh you know companies and corporations and and telecom companies and stuff like that really stepping up to try to bring that equi equitability of learning right to all students and having that internet access uh, i can't speak anything specifically about any of them um but I, again i know it, it's happening a lot and it's and it's really actually uh, really awesome to see because i think we're you know we're we're leaving we're leaving too many kids behind just because they don't have internet access, which should be, you know, something that we should all be able to to get to. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, starting to see a lot more of that, which is awesome. That is Do good. either of you know where the geography is around that? I mean, you know, if you sort of heat mapped those 10 million, where where would we see? I mean, you're yeah, I mean you're gonna probably have it all over, right? I mean, there's two 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 pieces to it, right? One, they don't have access to it at all. Right. So maybe it's in rural, you know, more rural communities and stuff like that that just don't. I mean, I don't have I don't have high speed. Maybe I mean, there's is dial up still even kind of out there. I don't know. Right. But I mean, again, if you if you don't have access to it, you can't even have it if you, even if you wanted to. Uh, but then there's also, you know, hey, I have access to it, but I can't afford it. Right. I mean, there's that's a real real world problem that we have to kind of address and figure out. It's like one, we got to, you know. We got to be able to get the signals and be able to use, um, you know, get onto the internet somehow, but also has to be, you know, affordable. Um, and I think those are the two kind of two kind of gaps there. 
you know, a lot of rumors around 5G and, you know, being, you know, super fast and better access. So, you know, not having to have a, a line, you know, fiber line pumped into your house to get internet access. You just get it like you do on your phone, which I think will definitely help um, and be able to scale that. But then again, we still have to address the, you know, equitability of affordability of those of that technology. Absolutely. You know, as, as you were talking, Sean, it kind of resonated with me that, you know, when I thought about that problem, I thought more about the pandemic, right, and having schools close. But if you think about it, if you're even in school and you go home and do a project or do homework and you don't have internet access, you're at a disadvantage to every other student that's in the class from all of the information that you have available at your fingertips versus someone that has none. Um, that, talk about a huge disadvantage. Um, yeah. And you know, yeah, so yeah, and that's a, and, that, and honestly, that's a really good point. Um, but the really great thing when you think about a, a Microsoft solution is that you know, technically, right, if you're using a PC and you've got Office Suite downloaded to the device, the students can still do work, right? Yeah. But they may just have to say, okay, well, wait a minute, I gotta go drive, you know, drive into the parking lot of the school to get it, you know, access to their internet or, hey, I'm gonna go over to my friend's house and I'll, I'll sync my data there. Or maybe it's, you know, the public library, I can get, you know, I can get access there. Cool, that's perfectly fine. And you can, they could still do their work on that device because they have the software suite downloaded to the device. You don't need internet to run, you know, Word and PowerPoints and Excel and all, all that, you know, a lot of other applications can be run natively on the device without internet access. I mean, that's a huge differentiator, you know, when we think about Microsoft and a, a solution for schools there. I'm going to also ask you another question that dates me greatly. Um, does schools in the, um, kind of the K through 12 space, do they still have computer labs? Are those still set up <clears throat> that they go into a room and do stuff? So it, it's it's been a while. Uh, I have to assume yes. Um, and but but actually, uh, you start seeing more um, labs, computer labs created for esports. Oh, oh, that's, so that's interesting. yeah. That's, so that's where you oh, actually. Man, I could I could riff on that. I was going to say, do schools still have those cards with the punch outs in them? <laughs> the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> no, but I, but seriously, I want to talk about esports because th this will be the most controversial part of you uh -oh. know this podcast. Uh oh. Because I too, like Bob, I'm a sports guy, right? I, and I'm I'm old school sport. I really struggle with putting E in front of sports and saying it's sports. You know, I I really do. I don't view esports as sports. And I know that that may be, you know, horrible to say to some people, but am I am I off there? I mean, does anybody have a is this a hallelujah for anybody or is this <laughs> off? Yeah, it, it, I'm going to definitely say that is very controversial. Uh, yeah. But take take the physical aspect out of sports for a moment, which is my what? problem. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I know, but, but, no, but, but stay with me, but stay with me. So take the physical aspect out of it. What else is included with sports? Uh, okay, fine. I know you're leading me down a path, and I will placate to that. But it's, I think, uh, I think about competition, right? So competition, I would say, um, you know, removing physicality from it, because uh, because I think hand-eye coordination to me is a physical thing, right? You know, I mean, I, I view that as physical. Um, 
so I'm not sure if I can count that or not, but I think competition is definitely part of it. So I think that's part of sports. If you take physicality out of it, if that's a word for the physical nature of sports out of it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Strategy, collaboration, teamwork. Sure. I okay. mean, you're, you're building, you know, you're trying to so solve problems, right? Even though it's a, it's a sports and it, it may be a game, you're still trying to get from point A to point B and now you're, you're teaching, right? Collaboration between a, a group of people, right? There's going to be leaders. There's going to be assignments of, of roles and capabilities to go and achieve that goal. Um, and a, a ton of, you know, again, ton of, uh, eye hand coordination is associated with it. So, I mean, it is, it's, it's classified as a sport. It, I think it's a, it's tremendous sport. I mean, sports, you know, can be, I mean, you know, you look at race car drivers. Yes, it's very physical in the cockpit, but they're not throwing a ball or anything, but it's still a motorsports. Yeah, I, right? I definitely, I can, absolutely. I think sports don't require a ball. So I'm not, I'm not saying that. Um, yeah. But, you know, and, and there's no right answer here. And yes, somebody has already officially designated esports as a sport. And really, the truth is, it's all about the economy, you know, and it's all about where people want to invest their time. And I just, you know what, here, here's the thing, you know, this is the old school guy, right? Yesterday, I was, I was at the gym. And I was in this, you know, I forgive the image, I was swimming, you know what I mean? And I was in the lane, there was a guy next to me and his kid was standing outside of the pool and they were arguing because the kid wanted to go home and play video games. And the dad's like, look, look, you know what? I'm sorry you're mad about playing video games, but go and do something physical, play, play out here. And the kid wasn't gonna do it. He was gonna wait until, you know. And, and to me, there's something that's about sports, the physical nature of sports, that's, you know, part of the human condition in terms of when you build camaraderie around that. And w there is this sort of return that comes from playing a sport. And I just I just fear I fear this thing about us channeling everything into our rooms with you know, video, you know, or, or through digital, the digital experience. I mean, life has to have balance, you know, and that's. That's me, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to get off my soapbox. <laughs> I'm done. I apologize for this tangent. Uh, I clearly it, feel more passionate about it than I thought. It, so it's okay. It, it's okay, Elliot. No, I mean, I, again, I just want to kind of close out on esports because it really. Uh, it's one of those things that's going to be here. It's blowing up. It's it's honestly, you know, if you think about technology, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're 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 getting kids in K through 12 and higher education. They have to be in, inundated with technology. That is what our future is, right? Computer science should be core to curriculum. Reading, writing, arithmetic, computer science, right? Like yeah. it's gonna if it's if it's not already in place at schools right now, it will be. And honestly, from an esports perspective, I mean, it's the you know really kind of is the great equalizer too. Right. If you think about from a sporting standpoint, there's there's kids that are are, are built for football. There's built built for hockey. There's kids built for gymnastics. Uh, not every kid is built to do that. And really, we want to still uh, still have um, anybody. Right. Really, anybody can play esports and, and work on that collaboration. But there's so much more from a technology standpoint. Uh, in the esports, again, we talked about it. Collaboration is huge. We collaborate all day long. How how can we teach kids to collaborate? uh you know any way better than than through esports they're you know they're um looking at scenarios and trying to come up with you know answers 
they're doing communications, right, based on their play. So they're broadcasting. So they're learning about broadcasting and, you know, vlogging and like all this other stuff that I guess we're inundated with all day long and teaching them that and helping them again for the future because we are, it's, you know, technology skills of some kind are going to be really important. And then you see a lot of these kids are taking esports and, you know, and they're talking about coding. So they're creating their own games, right? To do a competition with in the classroom. I mean, you think about Minecraft, uh, you know, from we got Minecraft Education Edition and within the game, it teaches coding. And you can set up, uh, <clears throat> sorry, you can set up esports competitions as well within Minecraft. So, I mean, again, this is the future. I mean, kids are gonna do it no matter, you know, what, uh, um, you know, across all gamuts. And it's great too, because a lot of these kids <clears throat> connect with people in other countries. Lots yeah. of you're, when you're playing yeah. sports, no, it, you're, it, you're in your own community, right? I'm, I, I dig it. I'm, I'm good. I, I'm done with my Archie Bunker moment. That, that's me, like in my Archie Bunker chair, you know, denying the future. So it's no, but it's it. You do, you do make a very good case for that. So that's that's. Thank you. So Sean, with with that, just one more question on that. Um, I I know esports is blowing up, but I didn't realize it had got to the school level. So are there school competitions? I mean, are there, you know, like almost you would see in a, in a athletic district, are there now esports districts at, at the, I would assume high school level, but maybe even below that. Is that going on? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's scholarships to universities for esports. Right. So, I mean, there's there's a ton of, of uh, you know, grants and scholarships and all that stuff from an esports perspective to get into and pay for college. So, I mean, it's happening fast and furious. I mean, you know, again, from the the, the college level, you're probably seeing it a lot more. You're, right. You know, you're starting to see more and more in high school because, again, they're trying to help those students get those scholarships right into the into the college uh, into that college space. So it's again, it's happening in, in high school as well. And then I think it's probably, you know, again, in the lower grade levels, you know, maybe, you know, it could be, I mean, certainly, like I said, you know, when you're playing games like Minecraft, because it's so, uh, Minecraft's so powerful because you're building your own worlds and you're able to do a lot more than just kind of like a pre-built video game <coughs> is when that, that that's used for esports. So again, I, there's a lot more easier ways to kind of introduce you know younger students into that um, computer science and esports kind of realm so when they do get into high school and they're you know joining league i mean there's leagues all over the place um they're joining those leagues and they're they're doing real well and they're getting scholarships to into into college awesome yeah really well sean good. i i think we're out of time we've kind of hit hit our mark here so i want awesome. to thank you You've also clearly pointed out that we should rename our podcast to Two Old Guys Yelling at a Cloud. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we're going to have to update all our imaging on that. <laughs> but, um, really appreciate your time. It's a great, great conversation today. And uh, thank, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys so much. It's been a, it's been a, it was a blast, and uh, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes to talk about myself, which I don't normally do. So, thank you so much. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks again, Sean. You bet.